Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In this podcast, we explore some of the little-known legends, stories, places, and rumors about the great Buckeye State. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. So hide the keys, lock the doors, and turn down the lights. The next episode is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. I'm Dan, and this is my partner, Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. We have a story tonight about the person some consider the best bank robber ever and his exploits in Ohio. By chance, are you talking about the notorious outlaw, Pretty Boy Floyd? Why, yes, I am. Should I be armed for this story? Well, it might not hurt. You never know. Well, let's get into it. Tell me more. All right. But before we begin, I just want to make a quick general announcement that our partners at Ohio Mysteries Podcast have also done a podcast about this story. So if you're interested and want to learn more, it's absolutely a fantastic podcast, and you can certainly learn all about it. I have heard it. It's a really good one. Yes. And really, that's that was kind of my initiation into this story, too. There you go. So let's begin. Arthur Floyd, otherwise known as Pretty Boy Floyd, was a notorious bank robber in Depression-era America. His exploits became legendary as he was rumored to have destroyed banknotes on the poor farming family's properties during his bank heist, thus freeing them from their debts. His reputation grew and he became an everyman hero to some. So a modern-day Robin Hood. Yeah, and some people saw him as just that. Charles Arthur Floyd was born on February 3rd, 1904, and he was killed on October 22nd in 1934. He robbed banks across the Midwest and the South, and his criminal exploits gained national attention in the 1930s. He was pursued and killed by a group of Bureau of Investigation, BOI, later renamed to the FBI, agents led by Melvin Purvis. There is speculation as to which officers were at the event and precisely how it happened, but accounts document that local officers Robert Pete Pyle and George Curran were there at his fatal shooting and at his embalming, but more about that later. Floyd was born in Bartow County, Georgia in 1904 to Walter Lee Floyd and Mamie Helena Eccles Floyd. And his family moved to Aikens, Oklahoma in 1911 because they had heard that cotton farming was more lucrative there. But this was in the Dust Bowl, and any kind of farming was tough, and this is where Floyd would grow up. Floyd was also said to have pulled a prank 
when during a Riverside Town baptism, he actually switched babies in their cribs while their parents were being baptized. It would take well into the next day to figure out the baby swap. Wow. So he started early then. It sure seems that way. Uh, At age 16, after a few minor scrapes with the law, Floyd went out on the road as a hired hand on the wheat harvest circuit throughout Oklahoma and Kansas. He quickly got tired of the hard work and became involved in bootlegging operations and other illegal activities. He officially kicked off a life of crime at age 18 when he stole $3.50 in pennies from the local post office, which is around $50 today. His family was generally well thought of, and his dad more or less got him out of that trouble by providing an alibi, although Floyd would be arrested for it. In Wichita, Kansas, Floyd found a criminal mentor in John Callahan, a shadowy underworld figure who operated one of the largest fencing operations in the Midwest. Floyd returned to his family and friends in Oklahoma, and in 1924, he would marry Ruby Hardgrave, the daughter of a tenant farmer. Later that year, Ruby would give birth to a son, Jack Dempsey Floyd, named after the world champion boxer. But domestic life didn't seem to suit him because three years later, he traded five gallons of corn whiskey for a pearl-handled pistol. He and a friend then jumped a freight train headed east and left behind the Cookson Hills of Oklahoma. In St. Louis on September 11th in 1925, he took part in a payroll robbery that netted him $11,929 and also earned him a five-year stretch in the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City. Although he tried to work it out with his wife, who had divorced him during his imprisonment, it just didn't work out and they remained divorced, freeing him up for a life of crime. He also vowed to never return to prison again. Uh, I see trouble for pretty boy Floyd. Yeah, this is really where his criminal career really takes off. Although he primarily worked alone, Floyd entered into partnerships with criminals in the Kansas City underworld after his parole. He orchestrated a series of over 30 bank robberies during the next few years, and it was during this period that he would acquire the nickname Pretty Boy although accounts differ as to exactly how he acquired the name. In one account, it was because he would wear a white button-up dress shirt and slacks to work in the oil fields. The men on the rigs began to call him Pretty Boy, which was later turned into Pretty Boy Floyd. In another account, the payroll master in the 1925 St. Louis Kroger office holdup described one of the robbers as a pretty boy with apple cheeks. Some people say it was also given to him by a future girlfriend, Beulah Baird. Anyway, it happened. Floyd despised the nickname, preferring the nickname Chalk, allegedly for his fondness for Choctaw beer from his youth. Floyd would bounce around various locations, sowing the seeds for a life of crime. He would spend time working along the Ohio River as a bootlegger and a hired gun, acting as an enforcer and learning the ropes of crime. So sort of a criminal internship. Yes, exactly, although I don't think he earned college credits, just street cred. (laughs) But he's getting closer to Ohio. He's on the Ohio River now. (laughs) He's on his way. He returns to Kansas City and starts to rob banks in mostly rural locations where they were unprepared for his style of bank robbing. He would surprise the small-town banks with his bravado and guile. 
He was said to have robbed banks throughout Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Michigan, Kentucky, and Ohio, and was quite good at it. To this day, it will never be known the exact number of robberies because A, he robbed so many banks, and B, the banks would claim that he robbed them when indeed he never did because sometimes they didn't want the bad press. So better to be robbed by pretty boy Floyd than some Joe Schmo, huh? Hey, you never know. Maybe he had some street cred at the time and it would attract some people to these banks. I'd go to a bank if I knew it was robbed by him. Sure, he's becoming a celebrity. He's becoming a celebrity. In 1929, Floyd was wanted in numerous cases. On March 9th, he was arrested in Kansas City on investigation and again on May 7th for vagrancy and suspicion of highway robbery. But he was released the next day. Two days later, he was arrested in Pueblo, Colorado and charged with vagrancy again. He was fined $50 and sentenced to 60 days in jail, which seems kind of high for vagrancy. It sure does. Wow. Although pressure from law enforcement began to increase on him, he developed an underground network of friendly neighbors and safe houses that he could use as a shelter when the heat was turned up on him. He wore a bulletproof vest and used a submachine gun in the process of robbing these banks. Floyd would make little to no attempt to hide his identity and would introduce himself during the robberies. He had an uncanny knack for avoiding capture. It was said he once made the bank officials ride on the running board of his car, the getaway car, to avoid having the police shoot at him, using the man as something of a human shield. Great idea. That's the next best thing to a bulletproof vest, right? Sure is. So we had him on the Ohio River earlier. When does he get back to Ohio? Funny, you should ask. Mm. Ohio authorities were looking for the gang responsible for robbing the Farmers and Merchants Bank in Sylvania, Ohio, on February 5th of 1930. Of course, Pretty Boy Floyd and his gang were responsible. After the robbery, they spent the night in a saloon in Luna Pier, Michigan, and coincidentally, this is a bed and breakfast today, and you can spend the night there if you want. They soon returned to their hideout flat in Akron, where they tried their best to lay low for a while until things cooled down. The police had no suspects in the robbery, and luckily for them, these guys just couldn't stay out of trouble. Early in the morning on March 8th at about 1.30 in the morning, the Akron Vice Squad was preparing to raid a CD after-hours bar, which was owned by Bill and Bertha Gannon. They saw two men with two women staggering away from a party and they climbed into a waiting car. The driver would pull away and drove towards a nearby intersection where they immediately crashed into another car which distracted the officer's attention away from the bar. Although the accident seemed minor, something just seemed off. The women got out of the car as Officer Sergeant Kovac apprehended the male passenger in the front seat and Officer Harlan Main secured the driver. The lawmen thought they were dealing with just a couple of ordinary drunks, and they were unaware that these two men were Bob Amos and James Bradley, associates of the notorious Pretty Boy Floyd. The three gangsters had met during their stay at the Missouri State Prison in Jefferson City. One of the women was immediately identified as the owner of the bar, Mrs. Gannon. While Kovac took Amos to his police car, Bradley shoved away Maines and drew a 38 caliber revolver he used to shoot the officer point-blank in the stomach. After a brief exchange of gunfire, Bradley and the second woman fled into the night. 
Amos and Mrs. Gannon were tight-lipped about the identity of their companions. It was up to investigators who did a commendable job using clues to locate the gangster's hideout. They noticed red clay on the bottoms of Mrs. Gannon's shoes, which indicated that she had visited an area where new homes were being constructed. Soon, investigators found a phone number written on the wall of a private room at her bar. The address associated with the number was an area where construction workers had unearthed acres of red clay. So the red clay gave them away. Sure did. And it kind of sounds a little bit like those prison escape movies where the guards observe unusual colored dirt being shaken out of the pant legs of prisoners who had been digging escape tunnels. Mm -hmm. The next day, a well-armed group of Akron police officers surrounded a house at 731 Lodi Street. Its canary yellow color seemed counterintuitive for a hideout. Officers could see shadows moving on the second floor. Cautiously, they approached the front door, which was unlocked, and they stepped into the living room to find a Thompson submachine gun lying on the couch. Quickly moving upstairs, the officers broke through a locked bedroom door to find Bradley and the mystery woman from the car crash who was tending to a gunshot wound to Bradley's arm. The woman was Marie Maxwell, a serial shoplifter in her 40s, who was acting as the gang's cook and maid. Then officers checked under the bed and found a man trying to hide. The chief of detectives, Edward McDonald, gave the order. If he doesn't come out when I count to blow his damn head off. The suspect was dragged out by the leg and then, according to the press, endured one of the most severe cuffings in Akron police annals. Little did police know they had just arrested the infamous Pretty Boy Floyd. He was booked under the alias Frank Mitchell, a.k.a. Pretty Boy Smith. According to the witnesses, he took his beating like his man, knowing that his life depended on it. Floyd and Bradley had remained close since their days behind bars. On October 2, 1929, Floyd was alleged to have helped Bradley escape from a prison farm near the Jefferson City Penitentiary. After their arrest in Akron, they were brought to the hospital room where Maines was fighting for his life. The wounded officer identified Bradley as a shooter before he passed away. Bradley was charged under his alias, Burt Walker, with the first-degree murder of Officer Maines. Both he and Floyd spent the next two months in the Akron jail. And, and in those two months, they didn't realize he was Pretty Boy Floyd? No, I don't think they pieced it together simply because I don't think Pretty Boy Floyd had the notoriety yet. That's going to come up okay. a little bit further okay. in our story. But that's a good question. And I think that was kind of part of one of his really good skills is that he could impersonate other people and kind of get away with this. You know, and the information passed along between law enforcement agencies, I'm sure, obviously isn't what it is today. So Absolutely. So in the meantime, back at the Canary Yellow hideout, and by the way, that house is not Canary Yellow anymore. I visited the house. It's still there, and there's, there's absolutely no indication that uh, Pretty Boy Floyd ever hung out there, but you can still go to the house today. So back at the hideout, in addition to the 14 guns, police also found three license plates, one of which was on the getaway car used in the Sylvania bank robbery. And on May 20th in 1930, Floyd and the first man arrested, Amos, were charged with the bank robbery, and they were transferred to the jail in Toledo, where they remained for the next six months. Bradley, on the other hand, stayed put. He was on his way to death row. 
Bradley was allowed to be arraigned under his alias, as he reasoned, to spare his family any shame. He was found guilty for the murder of Officer Maines and, on May 21st, was sentenced to death. On November 10th, 1930, at about 7.45 p.m., Bradley, or Walker, was executing the electric chair. He's 43 years old. And how weird that had to have been to spare his family embarrassment. The guy would die in the electric chair under an alias. He couldn't even use his real name. Right, right. Crazy. Prosecutors had much evidence connecting Floyd to the Sylvania bank robbery, including eyewitnesses. After his release from prison, he swore that he would never return. The ex-con had stated that he would rather be killed by guards than spend even one more year behind bars. Unfortunately for the young gangster, he was out of options. The best he could do was plead guilty and hope for leniency. On November 24, 1930, the day of Floyd's trial, he was almost able to slip out of the Toledo courthouse, but was nabbed as he reached the front steps. He was that close. When the judge learned of his escape attempt, it dashed any hopes of leniency, even with a guilty plea. He then received a sentence of 12 to 15 years. And that was it. Pretty Boy Floyd was officially a two-time loser. In addition, he knew that the Ohio State Penitentiary at Columbus was a worse destination than his old digs at Jefferson City. During his time as a free man, he had hoped to climb the ranks of organized crime to become a big-time gangster. Unfortunately for the 27-year-old bootlegger from Aikens, Oklahoma, his ambitious plan had been put on hold for 12 to 15 years. But he would escape his destiny at the Ohio State Penitentiary by jumping out of a train window on his way to prison. That's exactly what the fugitive did in the TV series. Oh, that's right. Well, it was a train crash, but close enough. (laughs) Yeah, same thing. Floyd was also a suspect in the deaths of Kansas City brothers Wally and Ball Ash, who were rum runners found dead in a burning car on March 25th in 1931. Members of his gang killed patrolman R.H. Kastner of Bowling Green, Ohio, on April 23rd. On July 22nd, Floyd killed federal agent Curtis Burke in Kansas City, Missouri. From almost immediately after leaving prison until his death in 1934, Floyd would usually be accompanied by one or more accomplices. He carried out a string of more than 30 successful bank robberies across the Midwest, primarily in Ohio and Oklahoma. Authorities also implicated him in several murders resulting from gun battles with law officers or rival criminals. It later became known that Floyd did not commit many of the crimes attributed to him. On April 9, 1932, Floyd shot and killed Irv Kelly, an Oklahoma lawman turned bounty hunter, during a foiled attempt to ambush Floyd near Bixby, Oklahoma. Here's a good example of Pretty Boy style. On November 1, 1932, he announced to his friends in advance that he was going to rob the Salisaw State Bank. He breezed into town to a waiting crowd. Deciding to get a quick haircut and shave, he ducked into the barbershop across the street where he announced his intentions to rob the bank, asking them not to alert the authorities. Floyd then proceeded to cross the street, rob the bank, and escape to a cheering crowd who were said to be overjoyed when he began to toss a handful of monies out the windows during his escape. How can you not like that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, as it turned out, the FBI didn't like it because of what would happen next. Uh Uh-oh. 
Absolutely. Now, here's where the stories get hazy. Pretty Boy Floyd became the primary suspects in a gunfight known as the Kansas City Massacre on June 17, 1933, which resulted in the deaths of four law enforcement officers. J. Edgar Hoover leveraged the incident to seek more authority to pursue Floyd, although historians are divided as to whether Floyd was involved at all. The gunfight was an attack by Vernon Miller and accomplices on lawmen escorting Robert Frank Jelly Nash to a car parked at the Union Station in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City detectives William Grooms and Frank Hermanson, Oklahoma Police Chief Otto Reed, and Special Agent Ray Caffrey were all killed. Nash was also killed while sitting in the car, shot in the head by his would-be rescuers. Two other Kansas City police officers survived by slumping forward in the back seat and feigning death. As the gunman inspected the car, another officer responded from the station and fired at them, forcing them to flee. Miller was found dead on November 27, 1933, outside of Detroit, Michigan, having been beaten and strangled. Floyd and Rochetti were allegedly Miller's accomplices. Evidence against them, including their presence in Kansas City at the time, Eyewitness identifications, although these have been contested as well. Rochetti's fingerprint recovered from a beer bottle at Miller's hideout, an underworld account naming Floyd and Rochetti as the gunman, and Hoover's firm advocacy of their guilt. Fellow bank robber Alvin Carpus claimed that Floyd confessed involvement. However, the bandit alleged to have been Floyd was reported to have been wounded by a gunshot wound to the shoulder in the attack, and Floyd's body showed no sign of this injury when examined later. The underworld account identifying Floyd and Rochetti as the killers was offset by equally unreliable underworld accounts proclaiming their innocence. The Floyd family has maintained that Floyd admitted to many other crimes, but adamantly denied involvement in this one, as did Rochetti. Kansas City Police received a postcard dated June 30, 1933, from Springfield, Missouri, that read, Dear Sirs, I, Charles Floyd, want it made known that I did not participate in the massacre of officers at Kansas City, Charles Floyd. The police department believed the note to be genuine. Floyd also reportedly denied involvement in the massacre to the agents who had fatally wounded him. In addition, a 2002 book on the massacre attributes at least some of the killing to friendly fire by a lawman who is unfamiliar with his weapon based on ballistic tests. The FBI still believes Floyd was there and was an active participant in the murder. But pretty boy Floyd denied any involvement. Yes, right up to the end. On a visit back to his parents' farm, he discovered that his father had been shot to death in a family feud with Jay Mills. The accused was acquitted of the crime, so pretty boy Floyd took his father's rifles, went up into the hills, and Jay Mills was never seen or heard from again. And pretty boy Floyd would later infer that he was responsible. By this time, the heat was on and he found himself declared public enemy number one by J. Edgar Hoover after the death of John Dillinger. Authorities would soon encourage the general public to turn him in for a reward. On October 19, 1934, he was spotted after three men dressed as hunters and carrying shotguns robbed the 
Titansville People's Bank. Both Adam Reschetti and Pretty Boy Floyd were positively identified as two of the men involved. Police and FBI were put on alert throughout Ohio for the suspects. Floyd would escape, kidnapping a Wellsville florist and stealing her car. The local police were called out, including Chief McDermott and Patrolman Chester Smith. Firearms were issued, but Smith refused a weapon. Instead, he kept his 3220 Winchester rifle. He told everyone that if they found Floyd, he would be running. They checked all the back roads in the area that Floyd had been reported. After dawn on October 19th, motorist Joe Fryman and his son-in-law David O'Hanlon passed by, observing two men dressed in suits lying by the roadside. They thought it was suspicious and informed Wellsville, Ohio, police chief John Foltz. Foltz would investigate with Officer Grover Potts and William Irwin. Rochetti saw the lawman and fled into the woods, pursued by two officers, while Foltz went towards Floyd. Floyd immediately drew his gun and fired, and during the ensuing gunfight, Foltz was wounded in the foot and Potts was wounded in the right shoulder. Floyd fled into the forest. After enlisting the help of another local police officer, Chester C. Smith, who had served as a sniper during World War I, the group of lawmen resumed the pursuit and successfully apprehended Rochetti, but Floyd remained on the run. News of the search quickly spread. Local police in the surrounding areas were mobilized and a team of BOI agents were quickly dispatched. On October 22, 1934, things would finally come to a fatal end for Pretty Boy Floyd. Floyd was able to hitch a ride to East Liverpool, Ohio, where he obtained food at a pool hall owned by his friend Charles Joy. Different accounts of the events that followed were given by responding BOI agents, local law enforcement officers, and nearby civilians. All agree that Floyd was confronted by a group of lawmen soon after leaving the pool hall and attempted to flee on foot. Soon after, he was shot and wounded by pursuing officers who then arrested Floyd and formally placed him in federal custody. Accounts differ about which officers fired at Floyd how many times they fired, and in what sequence. According to the BOI, their agents alone participated in the final confrontation with Floyd, and local law enforcement arrived later. BOI accounts state that four of their agents, Samuel K. McKee, David Hall, Winford Hopton, led by Purvis, and four members of the East Liverpool Police Department, Herman Roth, Chester Smith, Glenn Montgomery, and they were led by Chief Hugh McDermott, were searching the area south of Clarkson, Ohio, in two cars. They saw a car move from behind a corn crib and then move back. Floyd then emerged from the car and drew a 45 caliber pistol, and the BOI agents opened fire. Floyd reportedly said, I'm done for. You've hit me twice. However, a news report from the Times states that Floyd crawled out of the corn crib toward the Dyke automobile, then changed direction toward a wooded ridge. Purvis yelled halt, but Floyd continued to run. Purvis called out fire, and the Floyd was mortally wounded by four bullets. Handcuffs were placed on his wrists. Floyd would ask, who the hell tipped you? Floyd refused to answer, Purvis's questions about the Kansas City massacres, but did say, I am Floyd. Where is Eddie? Referring to Adam Rochetti. Thinking he had been shot twice, he remarked, you got me twice. 
Purvis did not disclose Floyd's last words. Allegedly, four days before, Floyd and two accomplices had robbed a bank of $500. Floyd's share of his last bank robbery was $120. Among Floyd's effects found on him was a watch and a fob. Each had 10 notches, allegedly for 10 persons Floyd had killed. Retired East Liverpool Police Captain Chester Smith described events differently and in a 1979 issue of Time magazine. He was credited with shooting Floyd first, and he stated that he had deliberately wounded Floyd but not killed him. I knew Purvis couldn't hit him, so I dropped him with two shots from my 32 Winchester rifle. According to Smith's account, Floyd fell and did not regain his footing, and then Smith disarmed him. At that point, Purvis ran up and ordered, Back away from that man. I want to talk to him. Purvis would question Floyd briefly and received curses in reply, so he ordered Agent Herman Hollis to fire into him. Hollis then shot Floyd at point-blank range with a submachine gun, killing him instantly. The interview asked if there was a cover-up by the FBI, and Smith responded, sure was, because they didn't want it to get out that he'd been killed that way. FBI agent Winford Hopton disputed Smith's claim in a letter to the editors of Time, published in the November 19, 1979 issue. He stated that he was one of four BOI agents present when Floyd was killed on a farm several miles from East Liverpool. According to Hopton, members of the East Liverpool Police Department arrived only after Floyd was already mortally wounded. He also claimed that when the four agents confronted Floyd, he turned to fire on them, and two of the four killed him almost instantly. Smith's account said that Herman Hollis shot the wounded Floyd on Purvis's order, but Hopton claimed that Hollis was not even present. At least one other source discredits Smith's version, stating that although Smith's story received wide currency, Hollis was not at the orchard that afternoon. Hollis's FBI profile does not mention his participation in this incident. Hopton also stated that Floyd's body was transported back to East Liverpool, Ohio in Hopton's own car. Floyd's body was embalmed and briefly viewed at the Sturgis Funeral Home in East Liverpool, Ohio before being sent on to Oklahoma. Although if Floyd's mother did not want her son's body viewed by the public, by the time Chief McDermott had received her wire, there were already thousands of people wanting to view the notorious criminal. He would later be shipped back to Oklahoma, but in the meantime, over 10,000 people passed by the body from 8.30 p.m. to 11.15 p.m., about 50 per minute. The mob had stormed the funeral home in the space of three hours. The porch railing had been torn off, the shrubbery trampled, and the lawn completely ruined. His body was placed on public display in Salisaw, Oklahoma, and his funeral was attended by between 20,000 and 40,000 people and remains the largest funeral in Oklahoma history. He was buried in Aikens, Oklahoma, and so many people that attended the funeral, the Floyd family couldn't get anywhere near the grave during his funeral. You can visit the spot where Pretty Boy Floyd was gunned down today. It is in East Liverpool, Ohio, and there's a marker near the road in kind of a nondescript field, and somehow it's appropriately riddled with bullet holes. And this is the story of Pretty Boy Floyd. So that marker isn't an Ohio historical marker? 
It is an Ohio oh, historical marker. With it, the bullet holes. With bullet holes. Okay. It's, it's kind of cool, and you can go there today. So what do you really think happened? I mean, there's so many different stories on, and so many versions told by the FBI agents, by the local authorities. You know, one guy saying he was there, the other guy saying he wasn't there. What do you think is the real story? I, I think they'll, they'll probably never know, but it sure seems like at the time, this was the precursor to the FBI. And right. it doesn't seem like they had the resources that they do now. So if you if you want my opinion, I think the local cops got them and that the FBI was just trying to sweep in and take credit. He was public enemy number one. They'd been pursuing this guy for a long time and they finally got him. But truly, it was the the, the local police that I think shot him. And they didn't want to be outdone by the local police. So Absolutely know. right. Interesting. The woman who fed him, what was her last name? Helen Conklin or whatever it is. I have her on my list to visit her gravesite. Uh, she, like you said, she gave Floyd his last meal. Uh, so she's kind of well known down in that area. And yeah. I think his last meal, I think it was pork chops, potatoes and coffee. And he said it was a meal fit for a king. Yeah. And he, there's, there's a picture somewhere of the actual dish he used and everything, the plate and everything like that. It's kind of cool. But uh, for you know the people that don't know what I do, I go to these famous grave sites like that, and uh, I plan on visiting that one and in the near future. I was down there one time and I forgot to go see it, so I got to get back down there. If you do go down there, there's there used to be, and this is kind of a cool part of the story. There used to be a Pretty Boy Floyd Museum. Oh, really? And it was wow. in town. And what was interesting about it, they have the death mask of Pretty Boy Floyd. Oh. Mm. And it's kind of a low-key affair. So the death mask was between the washer and the dryer of this kind of the basement of this house, which kind of served as a as a museum per, for Pretty Boy Floyd. But it has since closed, and now all the artifacts are in the East Liverpool Police Museum. Oh, okay. And you can visit that today. Right. That's another thing to check out then while you're down there. That's cool. Definitely. People still talk about him. He's known as this kind of notorious hero outlaw that he's kind of this everyman who was a victim of the Depression. And he went and he liberated people from their bank debts by tearing up the bank notes when he would rob these banks. Yeah. Well, I think some of the other criminals, although Bonnie and Clyde, weren't they heroes for a little while? Or people like thought they were not good people, but they cheered them on as they did with Floyd. Absolutely. And it would probably made even even more sense that he was thought of a hero when he was leaving the scene of some of these yeah, bank right. robbers. And he was tossing money yeah. over his head. Throwing money to people. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Robin Hood. That's Robin Hood. All right. Robin Hood. All right. And there is kind of a cool song. I think the uh, the folk uh, singer Woody Guthrie uh, penned, authored a song about Pretty Boy Floyd. Oh. Kind of a cool song. If you get a chance, check yeah, it out. Absolutely. Great story. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, stay tuned for more. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more like it, head over to ohiomysteries.com. With over 500 podcasts to choose from, there's sure to be one that's going to keep you captivated. I'm Dan, and I can be found at YouTube at North Coast History and Haunts. My partner Mike can be found at Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. That was another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. Stay tuned for more.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.